Hello, and thank you for joining This Is Just A Phase. I'm your host, Jonathan Kent. Uh, before we get started with this uh, these series of uh, episodes featuring uh, all three members of the Cobains, um, uh, I decided to do the interviews all separately uh, because I really wanted to showcase each member's uh, personality and uh, their story within the bands, uh, their other projects that they work on, and uh, life in general. So with that being said, I want to start this podcast reminding everybody to check out the Facebook group at This Is Just A Face uh, for any updates on future episodes and past episodes, uh, any live shows coming up, uh, music videos of the bands featured, and so much more. Also, check out the Instagram at JonathanKent.311 uh, for the same kind of updates, as well as a Twitter page uh, and the account at T-I-J-A-P Podcast. With that being said, Jay, take it away. And you've got no self-esteem There's a hole inside your head With no future to be seen Let's go Let's go Let's go Every day wake up with the same old Ladies and gentlemen, Cobain's Week continues on, and this episode is the second episode featuring members of the amazing Chicago pop punk band. This episode features guitarist and vocalist Marky Cobain, who is also a member of the surf instrumental band The Aquaholics, and a member of the Mitochondriacs that features all members of Cobain's, as well as John Jughead Pearson of Even in Blackouts, Screeching Weasel, and the Mopes fame. We chat about getting into various types of music at an early age, getting caught in a snowstorm after a show, playing black metal with no face paint, and the start and career of the Cobains. We also discuss how Ben Weasel told them they needed to change their name, how they found success early on in Japan, playing with the Aquaholics and Mitochondriacs, owning his own recording studio, Bunker Studios, and what it's like recording other bands than his own, and so much more. So sit back and enjoy your morning coffee with this episode of This Is Just A Face. This track is from the Cobain's 2020 reissue of Lethal Injection, entitled Neat Freak. Away from getting drunk 
Hey, Marky. Hey, what's up, bud? Hey, not too much. How you doing, bud? Good. Good, man. Thank you so much for doing it a little bit earlier today. Oh, no worries. Thanks for, for having me. Uh, no problem. I'm, I'm having a guy do uh, work on my house, and he went out to lunch, and I was like, this is actually the perfect time. And let me see if... Let me see if Marky can get on a little earlier. <laughs> cool. Yeah, I'm just uh, doing my morning coffee and made some breakfast. I'm off today, so it worked out good. Oh, awesome. Yeah, I was glad I was able to kind of do everything during the day while while my son's in school. I have some, like I said, I have a contractor here, so I have my days pretty free to be able to do this. So I was happy to hear that, <laughs> man. What are you having done? Uh, we just, we're getting our bathroom done completely completely remodeled and um we're getting new kitchen flooring put in so he's doing the flooring stage right now in the kitchen and completely almost almost has the bathroom completely done he's got to do a little bit of like trim work and shit like that yeah but marky thank you so much for coming on the podcast man i've been a fan of your band since the since the beginning pretty much thank you (laughs) you're welcome man and like i said like i I have correspondence with you guys, you know, through the various like uh, Facebook groups and stuff like that. So I was like, you know what? I, I've been wanting to have you guys on for a long time. I was just kind of waiting for the right time to be able to, uh, to get you guys on the show. Cool. But, um, I'm going to start the the conversation, how I, how I do uh, a lot of the time, not every time, but, um, I like to try to get, um, um, people's, how people get got into music at a young age and what kind of drove them to find punk rock and what were the kind of like the gateway bands that got them into punk rock. So yeah. I'd like to know. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, well, me and Eddie have been friends since we were really little kids. Like I think we we're probably nine or 10. He's a few years older than me. Okay. And uh, we were pretty lucky because his dad was already, up kind of into punk stuff he was in the like a new wave band they opened up for uh so we were listening to ramones records you know that young and then i think it was one one day eddie had a probably a queers or weasel cd and ever since then that's kind of what started it we would just i guess uh you know the older way of finding bands before the internet look at thank you lists and once you find a record label you know, you, you follow all those bands, and we started going to Fireside Bowl at a pretty young age, so we, we got to see, you know, all the all the big bands back then. It felt like every weekend there was a show. That's awesome. <laughs> I, I'm in western Pennsylvania, and we had to travel to go find, like, good bands. <laughs> we had to go, like, Pittsburgh or Youngstown to find pretty, you know, the bigger bands that were coming through. So it was nice that you were able to have a, a venue that close to you to be able to to go see those bands coming through. Yeah, we were really spoiled. It was uh, it was cool because we would even our parents would let us go to shows during the week, like even you know we would be in school still, obviously middle, like middle school. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was like I want to say ninety eight is when we started going. So I was still in like seventh grade, but our we would get out of school, then take the train to the city. And then I think it was the red line. We would take the subway and then, and then a bus to the fireside bowl. And then our parents would switch off picking us up at like midnight or one o'clock in the morning on a school night. 
oh wow that's pretty awesome <laughs> so we were, yeah and that would happen a lot you know, at least once every week or two you couldn't see kids doing that now could you <laughs> no, no definitely not i mean there was one show where my my dad was supposed to pick us up at fireside bowl and he ended up it was before we even had cell phones too so i think he didn't end up picking us up till like three or four in the morning and me and eddie were just standing outside in this snowstorm <laughs> oh no shit and we had no idea what to do i think we walked to the gas station and tried to use a payphone, and uh yeah it was pretty funny and i think i even played a show that night and i had like my amp with me too and i was i was freaking out because it was so late and you know we were probably 13 14 years old oh wow what 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 band would have you been playing at playing uh, i got to play there in this this band called the ingrates oh okay yeah and, eddie brought them up too yeah, they they were kind of one of the local bands that we we would go watch, uh, like at the skate park. There was a skate park called Scrap. Okay. And uh, we just thought they were funny guys, and we got along with them really well. Played a few house shows with them, and then I, I ended up playing guitar for it was a pretty short time, but I think it was just like one summer. Okay. But it was a good experience. At least I got to play the Fireside because Eddie did with he had another band called the Makeouts with the same singer from that okay. band. Yeah, he never brought them up. Uh, he brought up a lot of bands, but that wasn't one of them. <laughs> yeah, he had a couple little side projects. We we both have had a lot of side projects, and that's kind of in the beginning with Cobain's. It was supposed to just be like, well, let's just record like a little seven inch and play this kind of music that we haven't been doing for a long time. Oh, okay. And okay. then and then it just never ended. <laughs> <laughs> You're about what now? You guys started what in like 2008? So here you are. What? Yeah. Night, no, what nine years later? No, longer than that. Shit. Oh, yeah, uh, 20 uh, 12 years later. We had our let's see, we did our 10 year anniversary show and sticker. We had stickers and and shirts made. Um, I can't remember when it was. Everything's kind of a blur for me with I'm really bad with dates and. <laughs> and stuff like that oh I, the amount of time that i go in and like try to prep for episodes like i'm checking dates or if like even like when you try to go on Bandcamp or spotify to look up the dates are wrong so you're talking like i was talking to uh cliffy and chris from the huntingtons uh, and and like i had one of the dates wrong and i'm like oh all the research wasted and i still had the <laughs> wrong fucking day man <laughs> Yeah, so it was yeah, it was three years ago when we had our ten year. Yeah, and we had like we kind of made a little special deal out of it. We had stickers and shirts and That's we're, pretty we're, cool. Yeah, I can't I can't remember what else we did for it, but yeah, dates are a blur for me because I do. I'm I'm super busy because I have the home studio and I'm always always hustling on the side doing something. I I'm I'm never just chilling chilling out. Cobain's E.T. Phone Home.
Um, what I want to ask you is, um, how old were you and what were kind of your uh, influences as far as uh, picking up the guitar? Uh, I started playing guitar when I was, I think I was nine going on 10. Uh, and it, it was right when Nirvana came out, obviously. That's why we're, we thought it, like the Cobains would be such a funny name because we knew people would hate it. And we just kind of, our bass player at the time came up with it. And uh, and I love the spelling too, because if anybody doesn't, if, if yeah. anybody doesn't know the spelling, like I had to tell my wife, I was like, they spell it like it was in Bleach when it was all, <laughs> when his name was misspelled. <laughs> Yeah, we changed the spelling. I don't know if Eddie told you why, but it was pretty funny because it was right when uh, Ben Weasel did his like first big show coming back to Reggie's, and he had like a meet and greet, and I brought my Weasel Wright guitar and I had him sign it, and he was like, "Yeah, I heard you guys, but you really, you really need a new name." <laughs> <laughs> so, so we just changed the spelling because we we couldn't think of a name, so we just wanted we just thought it was funny because we yeah, I always just assumed. Band. I always just assumed that, that that was the reason why you guys spelled it that way is because it was the misprint on the uh, on the bleach the bleach CD. No, we just did it just because Ben Weasel told us we needed a new name. <laughs> and if Ben Weasel tells you something, you don't do it, right? <laughs> <laughs> we kind of did, <laughs> kind of did, but not really, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, but yeah. So I mean, I was nine going on ten, and I was I was really lucky because my my grandma's really musical, so she really spoiled me and bought me like a Mexican strat when I was like ten. Oh and wow. She was actually a big fan of Nirvana and bought me CDs and and you know, was telling me Kurt Cobain's a genius and me and Eddie, you know, that's how we became friends. We were both big Nirvana fans and met through mutual friends and uh you know that that only lasted a few years though of us being diehard Nirvana fans from age, you know, 10 to maybe 12 or 13. And then that's when we became born to the punk stuff. Mm -hmm. Cause 94 happened. And that was pretty much ushered in a whole nother style of music for you guys. Yeah. I mean, we were obviously green day fans and everything that was on the radio. And it's cause we, we didn't know what else to listen to. We were kids. We didn't really have a, a choice mm -hmm. until we started digging in. But uh, the Dickies obviously were always a big, big part of my you know childhood with with the movie Killer Clowns because that was always one of my favorite movies since I was a kid. Great movie. So, yeah, this year they're coming out with tons of stuff through Spirit Halloween, and I'm on a hunt to get it all. <laughs> Good <laughs> luck, man. Store every day. <laughs> no, I, it was really cool that you brought up uh, Nirvana because I did um, episode ten. I did a special. Uh, episode of the podcast where I have a bunch of different people on and they're, they give their most influential uh, album mm. and it doesn't necessarily have to be their favorite album, but it's the one that's probably influenced them the most. And I, I had my buddy Sam interview me and my choice was um, Nevermind by Nirvana. Uh -huh. Cause I feel like that album without us knowing it until later on allowed that style of music and for punk rock to break its way through the main, through, through the mainstream. Like, I feel like if it wasn't for Nirvana, a lot of those later bands like Green Day and stuff might've not had such an easy time breaking through. 
Yeah, that's true. And I never really, a lot of people don't consider Nirvana a punk band, but a lot of people do. So I guess mm-hmm. they obviously created their own style too. But yeah, that's true. I never really thought of it that way. Yeah, I mean, if you change if you change their songs to a different key, it it's it, like if you made it brighter, it sounds like a pop punk song. <laughs> know what I mean? Yeah, it, yeah. The drums it, are. It's funny when I listen to Nirvana now, and like everything seems so slow to me, especially the drums. Yeah, it's just very slow and very very heavy. Because <clears throat> um, yeah, and Eddie was telling me one of the reasons why he plays as hard as he does is. Uh, Dave Grohl is one of his influences, so I thought that was kind of cool that you both have that uh, Nirvana uh, shared experience together. Yeah, it's funny because then obviously with the band name too, but it's it's funny because I hear Nirvana a lot still now because at work they played on the radio and kids are always playing it still, and, and it's on classic rock now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's become classic rock, but. I, my my love for it comes and goes like anything, you know. I, I'll get really into it for a few months and then forget about it for a few years. Yeah, same here. And you know what? I I don't know if you're the same way, but i I listen to a whole uh, I listen to a lot of different styles of music, but punk is the one that I always come back to. But every now and again, I'll catch myself like listening to like you know some like obscure band that's not punk rock at all like i listen to, like sonic youth <laughs> you know what i mean that's like farthest removed from that style of music but i don't know i grew up with that kind of that kind of music too yeah i went through a, a metal phase probably during high school um i just had a lot of metalhead friends so i was kind of forced to listen to it and then i got i got really into it the more you're kind of forced to hear it yeah um, but it ended up kind of just being, it's kind of corny to me. Like, like I love black metal, but the whole face painting and stuff can be a little too much. I, I remember I actually used to play drums in a black metal band and we played this fest and people were like giving us dirty looks cause we didn't paint our faces. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. I never got, we had a local band that was into that stuff. I never got into like black metal or anything like that. I was like, that's a little too. <laughs> that's a like i got into grindcore but i was like i draw the line at black metal <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i listen to a lot of death metal some black metal and uh i listen to really anything but i always go back to the punk stuff because i feel like it's just the most real mm-hmm. it's uh you know it's not corny or fantasy it's just just real life stuff yeah no, let, let me let me ask you. Um, when you were getting when you were getting into the local Chicago scene, and you were going to see shows. I mean, obviously you mentioned Screeching Weasel, but um, what were the other bands that were kind of catching your attention uh, at the time that you were getting into the local scene? <clears throat> local stuff was hard because we were so young. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, we did have like a like a, a, a I would say like a punk scene in our even in our high school but we were always like kind of the outcasts like they were like the mohawk punks and we were the the nerdy pop punk kids <laughs> you know with just mushroom haircuts and leather jackets where they were kind of you know mohawks and spikes and boots and stuff yeah i was a skater kid like i dyed my hair and wore like the chain wallet and shit <laughs> yeah so there was a couple you know like house shows we played when we were really young and uh just uh, we always felt like we didn't really fit in because they were kind of just 
I don't know. They weren't as diehard as us. I feel like they didn't really go to any shows. But, yeah, they were more maybe fashion and yeah. influence. Yeah, there was also a place uh, called Record Breakers where we got to see Teen Idols and Willingtons. Um, nice. That was that was a great show, but the cops shut it down and they never did it again. And that ended up becoming what Reggie's is today. Oh, okay. Same guy. But yeah, there was a lot of local bands. I remember Oblivion singing them a lot. Um, Apocalypse Hoboken. Uh, brain farting right now. There were so many. Cobain's Nostalgia is Dead. Anytime I have anybody on from Chicago, it Reggie's is always the one place that obviously the fireside and Reggie's always pops up. So. Yeah, Reggie's is a really cool place. It's it's not too big, it's not too small. I definitely like going to shows there more than playing them. Mm-hmm. I don't really like playing the big stages. It kind of just feels. I don't like when it's too official. You feel you like playing on. on you like just, playing on the floor. Yeah, I, yeah, I like like our my other favorite venue that's gone now was. Uh, the the mutiny that was always 
one of my favorite places to play because it was just such a shithole, but it had a built-in crowd and it was always a blast. Sometimes those places are like the shittiest places are the mm-hmm. best venues. Yeah. We used to we used to have a um a venue in Pittsburgh. It was called uh Millville Industrial Theater. And um it was basically like an old warehouse and there was a couple like ratty couches and there was this huge blast furnace in the middle like to like heat it up. It was the <laughs> shittiest, diviest place in the world, but I saw some incredible bands there. Nice. Yeah, and I was like, yeah, that was one of the first times I saw Anti-Flag play, and I was like, I'm in the shittiest place. I'm a little scared, but this is like a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, there used to be a couple more DIY spots. that They would come and go, you know, it would just be for a year or two. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, we had the... the... We, would, we went to the Metro a lot, because it was hard, because it was... We couldn't go to ever when we're twenty one and over, mm-hmm. so that was that was the one downside. I remember one time Chicks Diggit was playing at like I forget where, but I remember we were so bummed that we couldn't go, and we like tried calling just to see if we could hear him play in the background. <laughs> <laughs> Do whatever you can to listen, right? <laughs> That's awesome. Now, let me ask you, with Chicago, like, do you have, do you have a top five favorite Chicago bands? Because I asked Eddie the same question. Uh, and he really... actually gave me, like, 12 bands. Yeah, <laughs> Eddie's, Eddie's a lot better at being uh, more you know, into this. I've kind of been, like, obviously all, like, the, the big bands or, you know, the big lookout bands. But as far as local Chicago stuff, he was definitely more involved. You know, we've, we've seen him, you know, we saw, like, trying to think, Blue Meanies and, uh, gosh, there's so many. But. No, were you into anything like Alkaline Trio or the Broadways or anything like yeah, that? Yeah, I was going to say, I was going to mention Broadways I liked, but I never was really into them. You know, I liked a couple songs. Uh <laughs> Alkaline Trio, I never really got into. Yeah, he said the same thing, and I even brought up to, to Eddie, I said, which is really funny, because I was listening back to your like your earlier stuff, and Dead by Dawn came on, and I went, he sounds like a cross between Cody and Matt in this song. <laughs> Cody from the Lillingtons and Matt from Alkaline Trio, like that, uh, you kind of have that desperate quality in your voice, but and I even said to Eddie, I said, it's probably because the subject matter. When you're singing a song like that, it's hard not to kind of kind of go into that kind of register with your voice. Yeah, we were definitely big. I was a huge Lowingtons fan when I was a kid. And I feel like when I just ended up singing like that because we didn't have a real PA. And it was like I could sing loud but still be heard. Yeah. And not kill my voice. So you know, I think we would sing out of a little shitty, like, eight-inch crate practice amp. Yeah. When we first started. And I, I never really planned on ever being a singer. You know, it was just kind of something that happened. It was weird, because we never said, okay, we're going to sit down and start a band. It was just like, oh, let's just do this, like, one little fun sh- couple songs and play, sh- like, a little secret show, and that was it. Nice. But no, I, I actually, D- Dead by Dawn was written by our first guitar player. And oh really? He wrote that. 
yeah, there was only a handful of songs that I didn't write, but I would just kind of change the arrangements a little bit on them. Okay. Because I was just like listening back to it and like I was listening to like ET Phone Home and Gas Station Girl and stuff like that. And then Dead by Dawn came on and I went, man, like I, I could really hear it in your voice. And I'm like, he doesn't sound like that too often. Yeah, that Dead by Dawn and Gas Station Girl were both uh, Eric's songs on the first record. Oh, that's funny. I didn't realize that. <laughs> yeah, because we were just. We, we were lucky enough to have, I've always been into recording, even when I was younger, I just had like a shitty little eight track and that's what really helped us write. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I learned a lot with, with just that. So I think having the ability to record at home definitely helps with, with writing and progress five guys in a room trying to make noise and fight over how things should go. <laughs> you know, it's just a little more militant that way. Like, here's the song, learn it. And, and keep moving and that's pretty much the way that you've done it throughout the the history of the band it's we pretty much people come with a song and you're just like let's learn it fuck it you know yeah it's always been usually me and eddie will just i i usually write riffs first and then after that i'll have just subject matter and then figure out how i'm gonna piece in the melody with it Okay, so you have you come with like a subject matter already? Like you'll you make like a list of like ideas that you have for potential songs? Yeah, it's usually just a mental list, and and it's it's getting harder and harder because it's it's always getting smaller the list of subject matter. Um, but I guess I should just try to change my style of writing. You know, I, I usually just do personal experiences or. Um, you know, just stuff that fits the genre. Mm-hmm. I, I, it's, but I think that's the hardest thing about this stuff is a lot of, a lot of it is so generic and it's really hard to stay original and fresh. I think that's why we haven't really been writing too much. We're, we've been taking a little bit of a break because we've been busy with the mitochondriac stuff too. So, mm-hmm. you know, we only get one day a week where we can get together. Tuesdays, Eddie told me always Tuesdays. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm off Mondays and Tuesdays. So Tuesday's our day. We're gonna do uh Leo Mitochondriac's practice later. John takes the train out. I pick him up around five thirty. Oh, that's cool. Now how's that coming along with the mitochondriacs? It's good. We're we finally got the C D over to Timbo at Mutant Pop. He's um it's like the first short run that he's doing in like twenty years, which is cool because that was another one of my favorite labels mine too i was glad to hear that he was bringing it back after like you said what has been 20 years yeah yeah it's crazy yeah i I remember like getting back into like the pop punk stuff because i i kind of my my scene's a little bit more there's a lot of street punk and there's a lot of like hardcore and it wasn't until like i started catching bands like johnny three and stuff like that and the prozacs around here that i got back into it and it was like right as like right as mutant pop was leaving and then i was going into like stuff like cheapskate it was like right around that time and i'm like oh bummer because i ended up getting into so many mutant pop bands and i was like why did i miss out on this you know what i mean Mm -hmm. yeah that was so cool too that it just took a lot of dedication but i mean i remember being 12 13 years old and we'd have to ride our bikes to the currency exchange and and get a money order and actually mail a physical 
envelope to, to get records in the mail two weeks later. Oh, yeah, I used to do that all the time with, like, Lookout and Panic yeah. Button and all those, yeah. Yeah, I still have some of the Lookout catalogs laying around, but I think that's what was made it more special is because you, you actually had to work for it a little bit instead of just going online and you're, you're bored in 10 seconds. Exactly. And you know what? I, I had a discussion with my friend uh, another on another episode, and somebody like came at me and was like, why is your podcast only available on Spotify? Not everybody has it. And I'm like, well, it's free, and you'll get a, like, even if you don't, like, if you, even as free, you'll still get a 30-second play. Mm. If you really like the song, go to their band camp and purchase the song. Like, you have the internet right at your fingertips. Like, you can go and find everything you want to like we had to work for the shit if we wanted records we had to go to the record store physically go through cd after cd to find good stuff and sometimes we got lucky and sometimes we bought shit yeah yeah we i we had a lot of disc replays around here and that's where we would find a lot of stuff okay and uh yeah it's like that even with movies now you know you rented a movie when you're a kid you'd watch it over again for three days now now you just watch the the menu more than the actual movies <laughs> yeah you're watching you're and then you're going <laughs> you can stream movies everywhere yeah. right cobains please don't Yeah.
Um, let me ask you about the the career of the Cobains. Like you you said it originally started kind of as a side thing, but you guys started putting stuff out really quickly. Um, was that just because you had so many songs already accumulated or was it just natural to record as you guys were playing? Yeah, we we were kind of forced with Japan Invasion because we were touring Japan. It was like, shit, we, we got to finish this album. So we just wrote, you know, half the album was written and then we just kind of spit out the rest. You had a couple like, covers on there too. Yeah, like some filler songs. I, I call them filler songs. And then those are the ones that people always seem to like when you just don't care, think about it. <laughs> but yeah, it was, you know, it was our first like, band that me and eddie had together since because when we were really little kids we had like a it was like an instrumental punk band because none of us wanted to sing because wouldn't even go through puberty yet so we <laughs> just thought it sounded really bad but yeah when when we were starting cobains it was like we had a couple songs and then that turned into six and then we're like well now we can do a record and then we got the offer to go to japan so we we're like well now we got to finish this record and we just had a lot of momentum build, building up then. Um, I think it was it was right around the like the second wave of pop punk. So there was a lot of, you know, a lot of bands putting stuff out. And it was just a good time. You know, it's, it obviously wasn't like the real heydays, but we were just mm -hmm. too young to, to be putting stuff out then. Yeah. And you guys were putting out stuff like you guys put out Public Affection, Japan Invasion, uh false accusations then you did the split with Prozac's you did halfway to sanity that was quite a bit of stuff very early on with you guys yeah yeah we we were just I don't know I think when you're young, like we were I don't want to say that much younger because it was like you know already 10 13 years ago we started the band but uh I think we were just more ambitious you know we, as you get older you get more responsibilities and we're, you know, eager to tour. You know, we've only done a couple tours, but they were still a blast. Even just little two-weekers to the East or West Coast. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, it was just, it was a different, it was a good time. It was just, I feel like a lot of the stuff that's coming out now, it's, again, I keep saying the word generic. It just, I don't know. I feel like there's, like, a time and place for all this stuff, and, I think it's good we're taking a little bit of a break and doing the mitochondriac stuff because I think, you know, after we play this show, uh, we're probably going to take a break from that and focus more on Cobain's again. So it's just good to kind of have a little breather. and You know, music for me, it's become a job, so it's not an escape as much with because I record so many bands now. Yeah. So I think that's a big part of it, too, is sometimes I, I get burnt out on it because I'm constantly listening to music you know mixing music mastering it editing so i think that i think that had something to do with it where in the beginning we were putting out a ton of stuff and then because i started getting really serious with the studio about seven years ago that's when i was like all right i'm good enough now that i can where i can charge people and okay and i, I kind of i'm just a quick dirty demo studio but if if it's something that i really like i'll spend the extra time on it and make it sound like it's not done in a basement, but mm -hmm. now what's some, what's some of the bands that you've, you've recorded with? Uh, a lot of it's, you know, just local stuff, 
uh, obviously, like the I did the Shecky split when they toured through here. They stayed an extra couple days. Uh, I did as far as like Ramones core stuff that's not just local because I, I just finished the Noodle Brain record. I just have to master that. That stuff's really uh-huh. good. Yeah, Noodle Brain's really good. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um, I did uh, Tommy Sizemore's band. Okay. They keep changing their name. <laughs> <laughs> but it's really good. Uh, it was Damones was the, f- the first time around, and I think they changed it to Dumb. Yeah, I remember I remembered the Damones, and then yeah. they did Dumb, yeah. Yeah, that record turned out really good because Tommy's voice was all messed up. He had really bad allergies and his voice was super scratchy and I loved it. He hated it, but I think it was like, I told him it was like meant to be because we captured his voice in a state it would never really be in. Yeah. That was a, that was a great album. Yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. That's um, cool. That you've heard it, but yeah. Um, yeah. Other local bands were like pop punk. There was, there was like a, another, it was cool. Like a wave of kids, a little younger than us doing it too. There was a band called the Phantom Maggots and um, the Grow Ops. Um, and they were, they're actually in Maria's band now, the one guy, Zach, that was okay. in Phantom Maggots. Okay. So yeah, there was, there. it's just all smaller stuff. Bands that, they're really good, but they just don't try as hard online, maybe. Never so you're trying them. to give them a way to to get them to be better than they they realize they can possibly be. Yeah, they were really good, really good songwriters too. I think there's something about like kids writing better music than adults, at least for this stuff, because it's so dumb and it's meant to be dumb. Mm-hmm. So I feel like the 18 year old punk rock kids can write better music than the guys that have been doing it for 20 years because they're kind of just burnt out or jaded. Yeah, and that that happens, and you know when yeah. and the, and, the, and they do they say punk is punk in general is a youth movement, and it was always meant for the youth, but like we'd never let go of it, <laughs> so it's like hard to let go of it when you still want to listen to it, you know? Yeah, it's funny because I always deal with that whenever people are like, "Oh, what kind of music do you play?" You know, when I meet just normal people, and when I say punk, they're like, "Oh, like." Like like the music in Tony Hawk, <laughs> you know. Someone, or if I show someone my band, they're like, "Oh, I've heard this. It sounds like something in Tony Hawk." And like they always finish it with, "That's what I used to listen to when I was a kid." So, oh. so it's always like, I guess I'm just a big kid, which I I always admit I am, anyways. You know what? It's 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 music that we like. You know what I mean? And like, I don't expect everybody to understand it or really get it because people are going to listen to what they want to listen to. And if they're not interested in it, they're not going to be interested in it. You know what I mean? Mm. But, um, yeah, I think but, it's just something that I always thought I like, I love the simplicity of it and the energy. I remember coming home from school and playing along to all my queers and Riverdale records and not really even having to try. I, my brain just kind of knew where it was going to go next, just here mm-hmm. over and over. Now, um, what made you? What made you guys get playing with John? Like, how did that come about? Actually, I'm sorry, playing with what? Playing with John. Like, how did that go? Oh, playing with Jughead. How did that come about? Uh, while he was living in Japan and then coming back here, you know, for little short visits, 
for either his his house shows or something, we would always talk like, "Oh, we should get you in the studio just to lay down like a solo or something." And then, because of COVID, he was stuck out here, so it turned into instead of just laying down a, a solo on a song, it, let's just record a whole song or two. And then two became four, and then now eight. Now, um, he, that was songs that he was coming to the table with, right? Or was it was it all done together at the studio? Uh, he would send just like a phone recording of him playing and singing acoustic guitar, and then we would just learn it on the spot. I actually didn't play guitar on on it until the last two. I was just just recording it because I I kind of don't like recording and playing at the same time because it's kind of putting your brains in two different places. Yeah, I was kind of I was kind of wondering that too because when I was doing my research, I remember when Jughead was talking about it, I thought it was a three piece and that yeah. you were recording it that Maria and Eddie were playing with him and then you were recording and then I found out the last two songs you were on also. Yeah, I I just preferred to not record cuz I got I have a lot of, I have some outboard gear so I'm you know, I'm not just setting gain levels, I'm messing with EQ and compression going in and it's I guess I could just have someone else strum the guitar while I dial it all in, <laughs> but, mm-hmm. but, um, and I, I did that with even my surf band too, the Aquaholics that when we record here, it's, it's just a, it's, it's hard recording your own band cause you're never done. Yeah. You always find something to look for that you want to tweak or whatever. Right. So I've, I'm pretty good at as much as I like being OCD and a control freak over stuff I've learned just to like, okay, just move on. You know, no one's going to say, well, this record was good, but an air sounded, you know, I guess if it's that bad, they will, but mm-hmm. you could drive yourself crazy. listening to something over and over again. It's usually the first take and the first mix that is the best anyway. So, you know, that's another thing I've, I tell a lot of bands, they'll come in here and take 10 takes and they'll still pick the first one. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. You just gotta go with your gut and keep moving because it's in the end it's if it's a good song it doesn't really matter. The mitochondriacs hate. And you know what I think too, in the in the at least probably punk more so than any other genre, your your CD is just a documentation of what you're putting out. Where you really shine is when you're playing live. 
Yeah, and I that's I. I think punk is the the one the one genre of music where punk is at its best when it's live. Yeah, I agree. Because even with uh, my surf band, we record it live, and there's still some screw ups, and I'm I kind of just leave them in there because I feel like I feel like all all my bands have always been a lot better live than we are on on CD, and I, it's kind of the opposite now because everyone's using auto tune and they're quantizing drums and using samples and stuff where I'm kind of just more of a purist of recording means to set up microphones and not plug into a computer. Yeah. My first band we recorded, we recorded at church, believe it or not. We had a buddy of ours who was going to be going to school to be an audio engineer and his last, his last little project he was doing before he went there, he recorded us and we recorded in his dad's church and listening back to it, I was like, dude, that was so awesome, man. Like, you don't, be, be, bands don't do that kind of shit anymore. You know what I mean? You know. Yeah, it's but. a good good atmosphere. It's got the tall ceilings. That's one thing I struggle with because I'm in a home studio. I just, I have low ceilings, so the cymbals can be a little harsh. Mm. I bought, I bought really dark cymbals, darker mics, and I'm dealing with it. It's always a learning curve. You never, you never stop with recording. I'm, I'm just self-taught, but I've been doing it for so long that I just kind of tricks here and there. And you know what? And that's what I think makes recorders or producers, whatever people want to call themselves. Mm. Um, I think that's what makes it great. Like, cause every person, whether it's you or mass or Bill Stevenson or whoever, they produce or engineer, you know, engineer record things differently to how they like it to sound and the, 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 uh, what's available around them too. If you have a, if you have a low ceiling house, well then you adapt to recording around that. And it almost kind of gives it a signature sound to it when, when like, you know, Oh, Marky did that record. I can tell. Cause he also did that on this one. I, I can mm-hmm. tell his sound. Yeah, and I think that's the beauty of it too is everyone having their own sound and working with what you have cuz other otherwise if everyone, it's just a lot of stuff all sounds the same, you know, and it's it's just not fun. Mm-hmm. Everything sounds I, the same. I remember I was watching uh, a Pixies documentary cuz I'm a big Pixies fan and they were talking about when they recorded Surfer Rosa and Steve Albini recorded that. And I remember like one of the tricks he would do is he would have the drummer play in the like type of area and he he would record like all the mics around the bathroom. And so when the sound hit the drum, he was getting the exact sound that he heard in his head when he played in the bathroom. I was like, dude, that's fucking awesome. You know, the little tricks of the trade, you know what I mean? Learning as you go along, the more... The more you do it, the better the better you'll become, or you'll know what you want it to sound like. Yeah, I think one of the coolest things I learned because we Aquaholics, our first record, we actually did it at Sonic Iguana, and Mass didn't engineer it, but he mastered it because they had never recorded a surf band before, and he thought it was kind of cool. So I remember, awesome. I remember, we set up mics in the top corners of the ceilings, just aimed at the wall, just to get some of the natural reverb. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, and there's there's a lot of stuff you could do. Like even I'll put a microphone. I remember one time I was recording a guy and he couldn't hear me, even though I'm standing ten feet away from him, <laughs> <laughs> sitting. 
so he asked if I could put a talkback mic in, into the mix. So I just had like a standard little Sennheiser 835 on my desk. And when I recorded it, I, I kept the mic on and it added a totally different kind of air to the whole recording. So even just having like a dynamic mic sitting on a desk made made the recording sound a lot different. Oh, that's awesome. I'm going to have to check out. I, I've never heard the band, so I definitely want to go out my way and, and check that out. Yeah, there's. that's what I think is the most fun about recording is because I, I always considered myself, I, I am a control freak, you know, like I said earlier. I So it's kind of fun. You could be like, well, I want to hear it this way. I want to hear it that way. And for the most, most of the last few things that we put out for us, I didn't even really mix it. I, you know, I just, I left most of it dry. Some stuff always needs a little work like vocals, but for, for us, I've dialed in our sound for what I want with just not having to do too much. Yeah. I remember listening to lethal injection when you, when you sent me over some of this, the sent me over those tracks and stuff, I was listening back to it and I'm like, I was like, I like what he did with that mix because it sounded different. It sounded different than the original, just just a little bit enough that like you're like, okay, I, I can see what he was doing there. It's just enough to fit what he wanted it to be. Yeah, and a lot of it's just learning. You know, down the road, I learned more tricks. I think for that second mix, I put it like an actual like a clean guitar effect on one of them and buried it just for a little more guitar attack. Mm-hmm. Um. And I started like duplicating the kick and snare and overgating them and adding distortion and compressing so they pop a little more. Was that on Tub Shitter or was that on uh, Back to the Hospital? Um, I think on yeah both of them actually because I I'd have to pull up the the files and see. But it's funny because I'll for that EP that we did uh, the Back to the Hospital stuff was on i i remember being really in really with happy. the outpatients right yeah i remember being yeah really happy with the mix and then listening to it later and hating it so <laughs> that's that's the always the other thing is you're always your worst critic and it's fun to listen to the first couple of weeks you're like wow this is cool and then and then i never listen to it again because i'll just cringe yeah i have the physical copy of the original lethal injection but when you sent me over the files like that was definitely kind of going back and went like like listening to them both, like you know, at different times, yeah. and I start catching because I don't think normal people would do something like that. They're like, "Oh, okay, whatever," you know what I mean? This is cool. There's, right. there's two albums on one, you know what I mean? But go as somebody who's been following you guys for a long time, like I wanted to go back and listen to the listen to them both and just see if you know what sounded different from them. No, that's cool. I, I don't really, I don't expect people to do that either. So that's kind of cool that you do that. I'm I'm a I'm a I'm a fucking nerd when it comes to music. Now. I'll be completely honest with you. No, it, it's funny because when I was a kid, you know, you, you hear music a little differently until you really understand it. And I feel like like all these records that come out, it's like oh, remaster, remaster, remix, and can't really hear a difference. But now, now you definitely can with stuff too. And I always like the original, even if it sounds worse. So that's what made it, you know. Because that it's, was, it's it's ta- it's taking in that time, so it's it's right. encapsulating that time. Exactly, yeah. Like if you know the guitars have too many mids on it on a record, that then they go back and they polish everything. Or I think that's what I didn't like about a lot of the reissues they did with a lot of the bigger bands. It was just kind of 
yeah, it sounded better, but that was the beauty of it is like, you know, the, uh, like a birthmark or a mole, mm-hmm. it, you know. Cobain's back to the hospital. Before I before I let you go, because I know you, I know you got stuff to do too, um, and I appreciate you making the time for me to come on here. I really appreciate it because you're the first person I've had on the show that actually does the recording process as well. And I try to make sure I shine a light line on all aspects of the scene, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's other podcasters or record label owners or. Uh, people who do art within the scene and you know i you know and the recording and the engineers and the people that producers those people are just as important as everything else i mean if it wasn't for them you want to hear the fucking cds that you buy you know what i mean 
Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. I, I did do a lot of mastering for Marty with jerk off records. He's the one who put out our seven inches. Yeah. So it, yeah, it piles up, you know, I, I did a couple mastering jobs for other bands that, and mixing jobs for other bands that didn't record. Um, and it, it just is word of mouth. I I'm busy enough where I don't really need to, I don't try that hard because I still work full time and do the studio three days a week, you know, sometimes four and then I'm up all night mixing or editing and trying to find time to squeeze it in. So like right now I think I'm booking, like I'm usually booked about two months out. It's been like that for a while now. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Especially during a pandemic, you know, it's nice that you're still being able to have that work. Yeah. I think it's even, it's, it's definitely busier now because bands are playing shows. So they're just writing and recording. And then, a lot of people because of the pandemic started playing instruments and recording at home and doing podcasting and stuff even more. So uh, I teach lessons on the side and do installs too. you know, just through, through my job, I get people that are, you know, it's a perfect place to network. I just hand out my card all day. Oh, if you need help here, here's my card. Mm -hmm. Cause a lot of people give up, they buy all this stuff and then they're like, Oh, it's too hard. It's too complicated. So they try to return it. And then I just kind of, you know, I kind of jumped on that because it's almost like I started my own little geek squad. Because <laughs> they, nice. they don't offer any kind of tech support. You know, these companies that do put it out have tech support. It's you could submit like a ticket, and then in three days you'll get like a super generic response. Yeah, and you know, there's no there's nowhere to really go or anyone to call if you if you need help with that kind of stuff. And I, I just I I'm not even a techie guy. I think i didn't even have a smartphone until like five years ago nice but yeah. it's just something i naturally got into and kind of just fell in love with it so it's you know it was easy for me to pick up and learn because i just did it it's all i really know and did for for a long time well that's awesome man it's, it's cool that you get to have a job where you can be involved with music still and like you said, it's not so much a hobby anymore. It's become a job in different different platforms of it. But at least you're being able to do stuff that you enjoy doing. And not everybody, no, but not everybody has that that option. Pretty much. Yeah, it's definitely. I'm definitely lucky. You know, I, I'm even just super happy with some of the bands I've recorded and met. And you know, growing up, I always idolized Master Genie, and you know, would love to be on that status and record you know, that many bands and records. And I've never really put together a list of how many bands I've recorded. I'm guessing it'd be over 200 now. You oh, know? wow. And some of them are just, you know, just three kids that are never going to do anything with it ever. But there's, there's some really good stuff out there that's no one's ever going to hear. And it's just kind of, it's kind of cool to be a part of that. Just, I just like the process of seeing stuff come together. Mm-hmm. You know, just layering simple things and and making it sound really intricate when it's really not. Yeah, and I'm glad you bring up like the the people that a lot of people you know the bands that a lot of people will never hear. Part of the reason I started the podcast is not only to have bands of, of your caliber on the show, but also to shine a light on lesser known bands, especially bands from around my area, because. You know, Western Pennsylvania is not a hotbed. We're not even the hotbed of our state. You know what I mean? Let alone, yeah. let alone, 
you know, on, on a national level. So to be able to shine a light on a band that's influenced me, you know, seeing in basements and stuff, to be able to have um, their music get heard or at least people, you know, people can hear their story and then maybe they'll go out and, you know, contact the band and be like, let me hear your shit. You know, that's that kind of stuff's important to me. Yeah, and I think we're lucky that we play, you know, with this stuff, with, with any super niche genre, it's kind of like you already have an automatic built-in audience. Mm-hmm. You know, when you put it out, whether it's, you're, you know, like even my surf band or punk bands or metal bands, if it's really a niche thing. But, you know, then I have like normal people bands like classic rock bands and stuff like local kids that just want to sound like Nirvana or the Beatles or something. And they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're good, but it's a lot harder for them to put their music on the internet and like share it and get fans and friends because it's, it's such a wide spectrum. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's, we're definitely lucky to have that niche because people are like, oh, you tour Japan and they think we're like this big band. I'm like, no, we just are literally in a cult of people that worship the Ramones and <laughs> all of our shows are bands <laughs> playing for bands and everybody knows each other worldwide. Aquaholics, cold spaghetti. Anything can happen and does on Bourbon Street. Like strip time, sex crime, murder, even a Latin American revolution. One thing I, you know, me and my wife talk about all the time, and, and she, she's, she quote unquote normie, but um, she'll she'll go to shows with me. Like we just we just went to a show together a, uh, a couple like almost a week ago, and um, she supports what I do within the scene, and like my bro- me and my brother in law play in a band together and all that. And the one thing that she always goes back to is she goes, the thing I love most about punk is that everybody supports everybody it's not it doesn't feel like if you don't if you don't dress a certain part or if you don't listen to a certain kind of band it's not like you're going to be ostracized for it you know there may be pockets that are like that but for the most part 
right people have people will support each other no matter what even if your band sound differently yeah everybody a, within that scene will support everybody yeah there definitely is a, you know it's so hard for me to list bands in the chicago scene because there's so many and they they come and go every couple of years but uh there's definitely you know being from a bigger city you could definitely feel that and it's always doesn't matter if you put a street punk band on with a ska band or an emo band every everybody gets along for the most part yeah and there's a there's a pretty good scene it's it's weird how sometimes it can feel really either either everyone's really helping each other out or every man for themselves kind of mentality so i feel like that's the one thing that comes and goes where it's mm-hmm. like, well we have this awesome scene and and you know there's a lot of niche little subgenres, and it'll be like the same five bands on every show yeah but you know you can't really blame people for that because even when we put on shows if we have our bands we like and friends on there because it just makes things easier you know they're going to show up and you can share a back line together and things aren't going to get stolen or broken or you know with so chicago is no different than a lot of those cities like pittsburgh and cleveland are the same way like you'll definitely catch shows where it's like the same five bands mm-hmm. and you know what it's like well they're you know, but sometimes venues will want to stick to their their core group of bands, or right. certain bands pal around with each other, and they want to keep playing with each other. Yeah, we we pretty much play the same three venues that we like too, because we know the owners and they know what to expect. You know. Mm-hmm. And what's really cool about Chicago is I've had other Chicago bands on the podcast. I had uh, Voice of Addiction, and I oh, yeah, had Ian, yeah. Around. We've been known we've known him for a long time. Yeah, and, and what's cool is like you mentioned them, I and all the bands sound, every band sounds different, but they all know each other. They all right. have some correspondence together, whether it's from, you know, Ian planning shows or, you know, just playing on the same kind of bills. It's like, I like to see that there's still, there's still cities and, 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 and scenes that are still doing that. You know what I mean? That still support each other on a wider spectrum. Yeah, definitely. I, I think that's one thing I've always liked about the punk scene too, is it seems the most inviting, you know, I'll get like a guy from work, like, Oh, I, I want to come. I'm not going to fit in. I'm like, dude, it's not like that at all. It doesn't matter if, if you're a hip hop guy or a rap guy or, you know, a country guy, it's not like people are going to, you know, say, say something to you or say you don't belong here. So it's, it's never been like that exactly like everybody just i mean because here's the thing punk it's so small that whenever there's another body in the room we get really happy about it <laughs> it's like one more we yeah. got one more person in our group <laughs> yeah and so like i like playing those divey places that have the built-in crowds too even if it's it's not a punk crowd it could be a bunch of like crazy old redneck dudes or something mm-hmm. but there's no attitudes or egos and they're still there to have a good time and that's what matters is, is you know, I, this one place O'Neill's that we play. It's it was like super dumpy place, no stage. I think I I even helped the guy buy the PA. It was just like two little fifteen inch speakers, but I mean it was a blast. It just just even just to people watch, you know, especially out in the suburbs, it can it can be a little different vibe than in the city. Yeah. But so yeah, hopefully, hopefully we'll get back to shows someday. You know, I, I know it's kind of weird now. Like, 
I hate the whole political side of it where if you put on a flyer, you got to wear a mask or not. You're damned if you do or don't kind of thing. Yeah, there's so a that, lot of venues that are doing that and that kind yeah. of pisses me off a little bit. Yeah, so we, I mean, we're all, you know, got our shots and stuff just to be safe with that, you know. Otherwise, you know, I think our our next show, they pretty much said after October 1st, if you're not vaxxed, you're, you can't get in, so. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, we just went to a show. We just went to a show in Pittsburgh, and um, it was the Flog and Molly, uh, Violent Fence, me first in the Gimme Gimme show. Oh, cool. And, um, yeah, it was like, you know, you had to be vaccinated. You had to show a card, even though it was an outside venue. Like, you still, you still had to be able to show that, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm like, I get people are going to be mad about that. But at the same time, you know what? There's a lot of people out there that are getting it done. And you know what? And if you're if you're really against it, then you won't go to the show. You know what I mean? Other than that. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, hopefully we'll get to tour again someday. I think, I think we will. I think it's just going to take a, a little more time because... We've had Eddie took a few years off. He had his kid. Mm-hmm. His kid's old enough now, or we could take time off. But a lot of it's just, just we work too much, too. So it's it's definitely a side gig. Twenty twenty two is going to be a lot better, I think, for for live music. I think I think a lot of the people that are so kind of on the fence, I think when they start bringing out the the maybe the booster shots and stuff like that, people are going to be you know the live live shows are going to be even more happening. So. Yeah, I mean, Riot Fest is going on now, and I'm I'm really surprised, you know. Yeah, there's been a lot of shows going on. A lot of those festivals. There's going to be Punk and Droplet at the beginning of October. That's coming through Pittsburgh. Yeah, and and then there's big names on there like Pennywise and stuff. So it's going to be like those those things are still going on, man. Yeah, me and Maria are flying out to LA to see the Dickies and Queers at the Whiskey Show. Oh, are you? And, and yeah, she's never seen the Dickies, so that's why we have to go. And I hate flying, so. Oh, do you hate flying? Yeah, yeah. I had to fly to Arizona uh, last October, and I don't. I, I'm usually okay with it, but I just felt super claustrophobic. So I'm gonna see if I'm gonna go to the doctor and be like, "You got to give me some Xanax or something before I get on the plane again." Yeah, I don't mind flying. Like we we've we've made a couple trips out to see my brother, and and he lives in Las Vegas. And, you know, we'll get the cheaper flights and stuff like that. So we're a little bit crammed in there. But you know what I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I put my headphones on. I kind of close my eyes, maybe drift off a little bit. And then, you know, a three-hour flight isn't so bad. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's definitely the, the, I feel like planes are getting smaller. That's for sure. And I'm getting bigger. <laughs> yeah, we're, yeah, we're, it might be us getting bigger, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But anyways, hey, before I let you go, um, stick around. I, even after we say our goodbyes, I wanna I wanna talk to you about something. Sounds good. Okay, it was just something we talked about earlier on. I wanted to kind of spend a little bit more time talking about that. Yeah, for sure. Okay, awesome. Well, Marky, thank you so much for being on the podcast, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, and uh, can't wait to hear it. And we'll do it again someday. Oh, awesome! That sounds really great. And like I said, I'll reach out to I'll reach out Maria to Maria about uh, her interview tomorrow. Perfect. Okay, awesome, man. Thanks so much for being on again. I had a really good time talking to you, man. See you, bud. Cheers. And catch you later. Bye. Bye. Cobain's When the Bomb Falls.